I didn't do anything to alter my mind to get me through this grieving process because it hurt so bad. I wanted to go through all those stages and I thought I'd be done with it. You're not ever done with it, but I felt like I wanted to feel better eventually. So I didn't want to mask it. That was my obsession was not masking that grief. Hello and welcome to the Healing and Dealing Podcast. I am your host, Charlotte, and I am so excited to go on this journey with you. Through a trauma-informed lens, we will navigate healing through conversation and connection while learning tools to embody our transformation and make lasting changes in our lives. We will cover relatable topics and discuss various modalities to put into action and ignite change. This podcast will have incredible guests who will share their story and provide proof that even in the darkest times, there is light waiting for us. If you landed here, it's for a reason. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Healing and Dealing Podcast. I'm so honored to have my wonderful guest today, Rebecca, aka Becca. Becca is the mom of three grown-ups and four grandkids. She's been married for 17 years. Her husband is her biggest supporter of all the things. She's a yoga instructor with 200 RYT, registered yoga teacher. She's also a certified precision nutrition coach. She's on her way to personal training certification to her dream job of online coaching. Becca survived the death of her first son organically one day at a time. Saying no to his journey was the hardest thing she's ever had to do as a mom, creating boundaries to protect herself and her family against the roller coaster of addiction. She is also eight and a half months sober from alcohol and trying to do her best at life, always learning and evolving and smiling despite her past. Becca, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you're, you have an amazing story and so much transformation. I know everyone is going to receive a beautiful message from you today. So first, I just want to start, like, you know, tell us about yourself and, and a little bit of your journey, and then we'll kind of dive in from there. What's kind of crazy about this journey is that who we're speaking about, my son, he was my firstborn son, and so, of course, he was very special. And he was in his 30s when he decided to do what he was doing, the drugs that he was doing. So for me and my journey, I had to make it known to him that it was his journey and not mine. He wasn't a teenager when he decided to do this. And so a few years before he passed, I had already said, this is not mine. And back in 2019, he almost died from sepsis. And we were at the hospital every day with him. He was the sickest person in the hospital, but he was, you know, 34, 35 years old at the time. He had his birthday there. Actually, I think it was his 35, 35th birthday in the hospital. But even though I wanted to be there for him during that time, I still had to keep it at arm's length because I didn't choose this. I didn't choose this for him. I didn't choose this for my family. And that was the hardest thing to do. So go ahead, you know, almost Four years later, my husband and I were in Montana and I had already quit drinking the month before. Well, I quit drinking September 24th and he passed away November 1st. We were in Montana and I was thinking to myself, wow, this is like my first vacation of not drinking. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. We drove all over Montana. It was just beautiful. 
and we got home, got to the airport in Ontario. We're driving home and I got the call. Mm. And the officer person from San Diego said, is this Rebecca Peterson? And I said, yes. And she said, I have a medical emergency. And I knew right away that it was him. Yeah. And she said, are you driving right now? And I said, yep, I'm driving. And she's like, I need you to pull over. Oh my gosh. I'm on the 10 freeway. There's no place to pull over. That's not super packed. It took me 10 minutes, at least 10 to 15 minutes to pull over to get over off, off ramp. She was so patient. She just sat there on the phone with me, waited. She would not tell me anything. At the time I was thinking, oh, he's in the hospital again. You know, maybe he's got that infection again. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's there and that's happening. And when I finally got to the point where I could pull over, she told me, turn off the car. And then she told me that he had been found, passed away in a motel room. And he was with a friend and, it was such a surreal experience sitting there listening to those words because for over three years, almost four years, I thought I was going to get that call every single night of my life. Every single night for all those years, I would turn my phone off because I was too scared to get the call because I knew it was going to happen. And so that's a big reason why I quit drinking because alcohol made me not sleep well. And when I wasn't sleeping well, I thought about him. Mm. And I'd wake up and my heart would just be pounding. And I would, I was scared. Mm. I was scared for him. I was scared for us. I didn't know what he was doing. I hadn't talked to him in a little bit over three years. I changed my number. Yeah. I didn't want him calling me. I, and it sounds horrible, but I, I the lies that they lie constantly. And so I didn't want him. And I said that in my intro that I didn't want him dragging this family through that roller coaster of addiction. Mm -hmm. It was so hard as it was when he got really sick and, and we tried to rehabilitate him. He came home and was here for about three months and then started falling back on that wagon. He started drinking and smoking pot, which obviously smoking pot's not a bad thing, but when you're an addict, you can't do anything. You can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't do anything. And yeah. so... Because it, it'll it, lead you back. It'll lead you right back to where you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. like just a segue. So that um, was really hard. I can't even imagine. There's there's so much to unpack with what you just said. I'm so curious, like, when you decided to stop talking to him, did you tell him, like, this is it? I'm not talking to you until you're clean? Or, or how did that look? Pretty much. Um, when we caught him drinking here, we had locked up all the alcohol, we thought. <laughs> Apparently he is a master locksmith and can get in any place because we were proactive and said, okay, we have alcohol in this house. We need to lock it away in a room because I had to go to work. Joe was at work. So we weren't home, but I did really trust him. I mean, I really felt like he was trying, he was doing all the right things. He was reading the Bible. He was reading boundaries book. He was what I thought doing the right thing. But then we, I came home one day and he was acting really weird. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, nothing, nothing's wrong with me. And I'm like, are you, did you drink? I'm thinking, where would he have gotten alcohol? He had yeah. no car or anything. He's like, no, I wasn't drinking. I wasn't drinking. And I'm thinking, oh God, I'm here. My, his sister and I were taking him to meetings. We wow. would go to meetings, if not every night, every other night to meetings somewhere. 
doing all this with him. Come to find out he would just put his earphones in during the meetings and he wasn't listening. Somebody told my husband that my husband knew that was in there. He says, you know, he just sits there with earphones in his ears. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, you're not even trying. (laughs) So anyways, he turned out to be super drunk that night, threw up in my car. Like we were, we were taking him to the movies. I can't remember what it was, but he wanted to go see a movie. So we were taking him to the movies and he threw up on the way there. And I'm like, okay, I made him call his sponsor. Like it was bad. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time. The second time during that time that he was home. Now, granted, we, he had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to ride a bike again. That sepsis just about killed him. I mean, honestly, he was, he was in a coma for almost a month. It was was bad. Is that from drug use? Yeah, that was from drug use. So, and I realized I joined this group on Facebook and it was parents Mm -hmm. of addicts and the pictures that they would post on this Facebook page was looked just like him in the hospital. I mean, they've got tubes in them and they're swollen. They can't move. And it's just so horrible. It's so horrible. And we were driving 45 minutes. He was in a hospital in Menifee and driving 45 minutes every day to and from to the hospital to go see him. And then he came home and we tried to do all the things we really did. And the second time we found out he was drinking, we went to go give some bottles of rum, Harley Davidson bottles of rum to some of Joe's mechanics at work. Mm-hmm. And the containers were there, but the bottles were all empty. <laughs> oh my God. So he was still drinking, still sneaking it. And I'm, I'm a mom, so I didn't know. I honestly, Charlotte, I didn't even know when he was doing heroin. I didn't know. Nobody really told me. Nobody wanted me to know. Everybody was like kind of beating around the bush about it. And I couldn't imagine it because we are a family that, you know, that's the one thing you never do. That heroin was always like, oh God, no, that's the big no, no, Mm -hmm. you know? And I know with it, Ramsey grew up with his dad. He, he left home about 10 years old. So he went to live with his dad and, and you met him when he was a teenager and stuff. And his dad just really allowed a lot of freedom. Right. You know, that we, we didn't allow at our house. So, you know, he didn't want to be at our house because we had rules and we didn't allow smoking pot. We just, yeah. his stepdad and I just didn't allow it. So, you know, our house wasn't the fun house to be. Right. <laughs> I relate to dad's that. house. Yeah. My son yeah. Has the same thing. He lives, my son primarily lives with his dad too, because it's less rules and, and, you know, he can kind of do what he wants, come and go. And we're a lot more strict over here. So I totally understand that. That's exactly what it was. And so, you know, when he was doing, starting to do heroin, his dad wasn't even, he would say once in a while to his brother, I think your brother's doing that shit. I think your brother's doing that stuff with a needle and things like that. But nobody was actually saying the words. But when he would come here to visit, he looked horrible. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was speed. I, I was like, ooh, I mean, he's probably doing meth, which that's bad. But I never imagined that he was actually doing heroin. Why do you um, think everyone was so afraid to voice it? I don't, I don't know why his dad didn't tell his brother. He really beat around the bush about it, except for maybe it was acceptable or it had been going on for a while. We never could imagine it. 
just yeah. like I said, the way they grew up, that was like a big no-no. You know, in our lifestyle, a biker lifestyle, even with, with Joe and the club and everything that he was involved with, that was absolutely, that would get you 86. Yeah. You never did that stuff. So I was really surprised when I started hearing about it, but I didn't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't, no parent wants to believe that their kids are shooting up, you know? Yeah. It's, I can't even imagine the heartbreak that you felt. I mean, it's, it's first you're in denial. You can't believe it. And then when you realize it, you feel so you don't know how to help. Nobody has that amount of money to put their kids in rehab. And especially when they're telling you, I remember Ramsey being here one time, he was helping me do yard work. And this is before we really knew anything, but he was, I think, trying to tell me. And he was telling me an instance where a friend of his, his parents put him in an induced coma for like a month to get him over the withdrawals. Mm -hmm. And then the person went right back to it. Exactly. I was just going to say, even if you have all the money, it doesn't matter. Like it, it's ultimately up to them. There's people that can go into you know, free rehabs and they just make it because they want it. And then there's mm -hmm. that go and spend a bunch of money and they get out and they're right back at it. No amount of money would even matter, you know? And that's how what I always, somehow I always knew that. And we tried to get him in rehabs when he got out of the hospital. But what they told him when he got out of the hospital was because he hadn't done drugs in two and a half months because he was in the hospital, that he didn't qualify Gosh. for an in-home or, or a, a in-facility type program inpatient. that he could mm -hmm, inpatient that he could come to a everyday type program, yeah. which I drove him to every day and picked him up every day, and we tried that. I think he would have needed to go in and be in for ninety days, but then again, he had to want it bad enough. Yeah. And the day we found him or found out that he drank the alcohol again, I, I went out and I told him, you can't stay here anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Charlotte, honestly, he was like, I know he wow. didn't try. He didn't ask me to stay. He didn't beg me. He didn't say, mom, I'm sorry. He didn't say anything. He packed his stuff up. He, my, his brother had taught him a really good book by Nikki Six. Mm -hmm. because Nikki Six is such a heroin addict and Jesse wrote oh there's really cool stuff in there and I said don't you want to take that book he's like nope mm -hmm. I said okay he was done he I said we're going to drive you down to San Diego you're going to go back to where you live he, he lived there his whole life and uh he said to me I don't want to be in the car with you and Joe because I don't want to hear a lecture for the next two hours mm, of course not so yeah. So I told him, we'll get, we'll put you on a bus. And wow. I put him on a bus and said my goodbyes. Was that the so I know he came up about a month later because I had told him that my grandma had some bonds from him, for him from when he was a baby. And he showed up at my front door. I saw him on the ring camera and he said, I want my money. I don't know how he got there. He told me he walked from somewhere. He told me he took a bus and walked, but it was windy and cold that night. And I knew somebody dropped him off, but he wouldn't admit it. I went, I made him stay outside. We were at a restaurant celebrating my grandson's birthday. We left the restaurant, came home. I went in, got his, it was only like four or $500 worth of bonds, but still gave him his bonds, 
put him in my car because he wouldn't admit that he had a ride, took him to the bus station in San Bernardino again, paid for another bus ticket and drove away. That was the last time I'd seen him. Wow. When I changed my number, let's see, changed my number. Somebody called me because they said that he had passed away. Hmm. He faked his death about what? a year. Yeah. About a year after he had left, he faked his death and had hmm. his friend tell Jenny that he died on a motorcycle. Jenny was his sex wife. Okay. And Jenny called my daughter and said, Ramsey's passed away. We called him Ramsey. So everybody in San Diego called him Kurt, but his middle name was Ramsey. And so we went through about four hours of thinking he had died. Oh my gosh. Why did he so do I, that? So he had a girlfriend that was also a heroin addict and she broke up with him and he wanted her back. And so he staged his death in a sense to try to get her back. Oh my gosh. So paid this guy to tell his ex-wife that has his kids that he was dead. She, of course, told us. So as a mom, I went through all of the things that you go through when you think that your son's passed away. Yeah. And random people started texting me, asking me if it was true. And I got so scared because I didn't know what he was dealing with. So his ex-wife called me, called us that night and said, it's all a lie. He faked his death to get this girl back. Jesus. And I was done, done. I mean, I always held on to some kind of hope. He always had my husband's number. He always had his brother and sister's numbers. My sister, he could always get a hold of us if he was going to really need help. And really, yeah. and I had told him, when you get sober, you can call me. Mm -hmm. When you truly get sober, he never really tried to call me because he never really tried to get sober. I am the one person I know that he wouldn't lie to. He wasn't going to lie to. Mm -hmm. So he never did try to call me. He didn't call me. He didn't try to get a hold of me on Mother's Day, birthdays, nothing. Yeah. Because he knew he couldn't be honest. Yeah. It was easier to avoid than have to yeah. issue you and, and lie or make or manipulate you in some way. He'd rather just run from it. Yeah. And, oh, and I... I had to like go through losing him twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So when, when I realized he faked it, I, I just, I was done. I was so done. I just, I was going through this internal battle every single day that nobody even realized I was going through. But just as a mom, it was tearing me up every single day. And like I said, drinking was just making it worse. And it was one of my biggest motivators to stop drinking was because I was tired of waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety. I was tired of waking up in that sweat and that fear, you know, is he going to come to my house? I don't know who he's dealing with. I didn't know what other type of people he told me when he was here. Mom, it's such an ugly, ugly world. He told me it, the people are so bad. It's so ugly. And I was scared to death. Yeah. I thought he would come to my house with people. I didn't know how his, that drug messes with your brain so bad. And him being so sick, it definitely affected him. He wasn't the same person that he ever was. Even when he was sober, the couple months he was here, he was off. Yeah. There was something different about his brain. You could tell it affected him. It, it changed. From what I've read, it takes a while to really like re recollaborate and come back mm -hmm. to 
your true mm -hmm. self after that, like sometimes a year, sometimes more, if some people don't ever come back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely did some damage to his brain for sure. So all those nights that I would wake up and, and be so scared, it was because I knew he wasn't himself. Yeah. And I was scared. I was scared for our safety. Mm -hmm. So you just didn't know what he was capable of anymore. I did not know. Yeah. And then Jenny, his ex-wife took, she was so careful with me also. Like I know she saw him at his very, very worst because he lives 90 miles away from me and her and the kids saw him at his very worst. I'm glad I didn't. I don't want to ever think about him that way. I think about him sitting on the couch, reading his boundaries book and crying because he knew that all we were all trying to do was set boundaries with yeah. him. And he was so remorseful for a minute of mm -hmm. this journey. And it was so, you know, he'd call the kids and talk to the kids and I would just watch him. And, you know, he just was, he had a really super sweet, sweet soul inside. The drugs are just so bad. And when you look at statistics and how many people are actually dying from drug overdoses, nobody's noticing that almost 100,000 people died this in 2020. I think it was over 100,000 people died from overdose from heroin fentanyl opiates it's unbelievable yeah and i just want to say for the listeners i've known her son kurt for years and he was always just like so lively and always smiling and like none of those type of drugs were ever around like and no one none of him and his friends ever were interested in that you know during the times that i knew him and he just had such a like innocence about him you know like super goofy and and always fun to be around and just like these real like his eyes smile when he smiles you know so that's how i remember him you know i i didn't see him at his worst and i just you know kept in touch with with jenny his ex-wife she's a close friend of mine and and yeah i just i i can't imagine i seriously cannot imagine you know having four sons myself that is my worst fear Mm -hmm. getting hooked on on heroin or fentanyl because it takes it's you. so scary it does it takes you yeah it takes you and I my daughter and I went and they got an RC car for me so we went RC car and, and you know he was such a big kid and her and I both said while we were out there Ramsey would lo he loves this right now he loves that his mom is playing yes I, I had him at 19 so I already had to be a grown-up you know mm -hmm. Adam so young and he always just wanted to play he, he, ideally if he could have just lived with us forever and not had to get a job and could just be like a kid yeah he would have been happy yeah he loved dirt bikes and being at the desert and just having fun and like you said yeah. play that's such a beautiful thing and like heroin just takes that away from you it takes everything away from you I'm, I'm curious, do you know how it's like started? Was it his friends that he was hanging out with? Like, cause did he have any trauma you think that he was running from or what do you think started it? I honestly, Charlotte, his dad was taking pain pills for years. Okay. And I know that he shared those pain pills. Mm -hmm. um, that's what and that's people. That's how it starts. That's how it gets starts. That's how it starts is those stupid pain pills. 
I don't get it because I don't, even in when I have surgeries, I will take them for like one day and I don't like them. So I don't understand it. So I can't pretend to understand what the attraction is to them. But his dad was a drinker and popped pills. And so I think they were easily accessible to him. And it was a way to get high. I know he loved to get high. His thing was always pot, but he loved to get high. And there's a few of his close friends that he grew up with that started doing it. And I think that's it. I think that, you know, when you grow up with people in high school and you're, you're so close like that, that if they're doing it and they say, hey, man, you got to try this. It's the best thing ever, which he told me, mom, it was the best thing I ever did in my life. Did you do that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. He told me, he says, that first time you do it, he's like, you can't even imagine how amazing, good. I'm like, ew, don't even talk like that. I can't handle it. That's so gross. Like it, to me, it's so disgusting. It's just so gross. So, I mean, I can't imagine even putting a needle in your arms or anything like I can't. And when he was in the hospital, he would just watch the nurse put his medication in his IVs. And I told Ramsey, you're being, I'm like, Ramsey, you're being weird. Why are you looking at that? He's like, oh, was I? I'm like, yes, you were just staring at it. It's an obsession. Yeah, that becomes part of the addiction, the whole setup of the drug, injecting it. Mm -hmm. It's all part of it. And they, they get it. They're so attracted to it. And he was obviously still like kind of getting off on that when she was doing that. That's so sad to watch as a mom. Yeah. you did so much for him. And that's, that's what I see so often with families and my family included, my brother's an addict as well. And, um, you, you know, we have this hope that they're going to change and they're going to see the light. And we do things thinking that, okay, this time it's going to work this time. It's going to be different. And then it's just disappointment after disappointment. And that call that you felt like you were going to get, it's, that's terrifying. And for it to actually come and, and now you've lost your son and you've been grieving for how long now? Um, almost eight months. He he died on Halloween night. So November, December. Yeah, Halloween Yeah, night. eight months. Eight months. So, you know, it's weird, Charlotte, because I feel like I feel like he's around us all the time. That's and that's probably, you know, comforting. I, I know for me, I've had a few funny signs that made me think he was with me and I I really do believe that I believe that he's free and I believe that he's so sorry that he put us through that like I know that where he's at now that he is just so sorry that he put his sister who loves him to death his brother myself like he put us through hell he put the kids through hell I don't know how his babies are going to survive this. Well, let's talk about that. How are they doing? How old are they? 12? 13. His daughter's 13 and his son is 10. And I mean, his son is young enough that he wasn't around him as much, but he still has the idea of him. Uh, He told me not too long ago, he called me and he said, Nana, I had a dream about my daddy last night. He got into bed with me and we cuddled. Oh my gosh, my heart. And I said, buddy, how did that make you feel? And he said, it made me feel so safe. 
It made me feel really good. And I said, I'm so glad he came to you like that. He is always around you. Oh, I'm tearing so, up. That's so special. It's hard. It's so hard because they loved him so much. And like I said, they saw him at his worst. They saw him homeless. They saw him dirty, stinky, all those things. They saw that. And so I didn't, I was far enough away that I didn't see it. But I'll tell you that every single addict and homeless person that I see, I think about him. I'm like, that's somebody's son. That's somebody's brother. That's somebody's father, husband, you know, and it's so heartbreaking for me. But his daughter, you know, she's at that super hard age as it is being 13. And I've told her so many times, you cannot allow this to ruin your life. He doesn't want that. He's so sorry about this. I know he is. And he doesn't want that to determine the rest of your life. Don't let that be why you don't succeed. Mm -hmm. Use it. It's hard. Use it as ammo to to make it into something beautiful. Yeah. And she, she is at that really fragile age. And it might be hard for, you know, some years, but eventually she'll see it. She'll see it for what it is and know that her daddy wants her to be, mm-hmm. to live the best life possible and to not use it to go down the wrong path. You know, she she's a special girl for sure. She's so smart. They're both so smart. And they have such an amazing mom. Honestly, she's getting them through this. She has an amazing partner by her side that's really an awesome influence on them. And I just pray every single day that those kids can get past this and realize that it wasn't about them. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about them. It didn't mean he didn't love them because he did what he did. It had nothing to do with them at all. He did love them. And he loved me and he loved his family, but he couldn't get, you know what, Charlotte, I, I, I kind of knew he was never going to do it. I have to say as his mom, he didn't do hard things. Mm, that He wasn't that guy. Yeah. I feel like that's a common thing with addicts. Honestly, I really do. I've heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like there are people, I know a person that's been 19 years heroin free. And every year he posted on Facebook that he's been this many years free from heroin. And I'm like, oh, man, that's so you know cool. Heroin back then was a lot different than it is now. So I'm not saying it wasn't hard for him. But, man, it, the way it is right now is it literally, it grabs you that first time. And especially the fentanyl. And it's it's insane. That's why it's just better. Do not even try it. Do not even touch yeah. it. I'm, I'm yeah. like, I'm disgusted by it. I can't even imagine putting a needle in my arm or being around people that do that, but mm-hmm. they get the pain pills, especially that you, you get sucked into that life and then it just becomes normal and you'll do anything to get it. I wanted to say with, with his kids, I feel like when you're that age, like you do feel, I remember feeling like this with my mom because my mom was an addict and you feel like they just don't love me enough to quit. And you, mm-hmm. you make it about yourself. You personalize it. And it takes so much healing to to realize that it's not about you. And I, I will pray for them as well, because that that is a hard one to really understand because you think like your parent would do anything, right? But when they're caught up in the drug, that they're not even worried about what you think they're worried about. And they, no. they, can't, they can't focus on being a parent. There's just nothing 
but the drug that they want took me a long time to realize that too luckily like my mom wasn't gone she she was a what they call a functioning addict for many years but it ended up you know spiraling eventually but yeah heroin is another beast it really is it is it's such a beast and i just i don't understand why our government doesn't take it more serious i don't understand why they feel like it's okay that this many people are dying from this and i say that because our justice system doesn't do enough to the drug addicts or to the uh, drug dealers to do anything. Like there's nobody, they don't take it serious enough. I mean, I look at situations where people sell drugs to somebody else and that person passes away. You're responsible for their debt. That's how I feel it should be. Yeah, that's, but they're that's not. That's how you feel, right? That the drug dealer should be responsible for the death. Yeah, that's a hard one because like, the drug users choosing to buy the drug mm-hmm. but at the same time like it's like a constant wheel or circle that's going around and without getting the drug dealers how are you going to stop it from happening it's just going right. to keep happening so right. I, I agree with you um but yeah it's it's not they're not coming down hard enough that's for sure mm-hmm. and that's a whole nother topic you know like it's it's almost like they want this to be happening they want people hooked mm-hmm. on it and it's scary, super scary. It's it's really crazy. I was thinking about it today as I was driving home. The amount of people that you see on the streets, the amount of mentally ill people you see on the streets, the amount of drug users you're seeing on the streets right now is unbelievable. Just from one part of town to my house, there was four instances where I told my husband, I feel like we're in an episode of The Walking Dead right now. If That's you, scary. If you drive downtown San Diego, it's everywhere, every street. Yeah, It's just tents or, or people just camped out and that's mm-hmm. their life. And I feel like you, I look at them and I'm like, gosh, where's their family? That, Like you said, that's someone's son or husband or, or daughter right. or wife. And it's heartbreaking. My husband's like closest cousin just passed away. I think it was like two months ago of a heroin overdose. And he was found in a tent downtown. And that was like oh, I'm sorry. the the guy that he looked up to his whole life, you know, and he just same thing, got got caught up in it. He left his family, he left everything and lived on the streets. Like no one chooses that. No one would want to leave their beautiful family and go be a heroin addict. This is it it's a sickness. Like they mm-hmm. it, it just grabs them so tight they they lose track of everything except the drug. And Ramsey was, it was so funny because he, I would drive around our part of town and I would say, oh, look at that house. Maybe when you get a job up here, you can get a little house like that. And he finally told me, mom, I don't care about having a house. I don't care about having a car. He's like, I could live in a tent. I could live. This is so funny because our whole family, we're, we're like, oh yeah, he said he just lived by a creek somewhere. <laughs> he didn't care about having a roof over his head anymore. It's like his, even when he was sober, his standards went so low. Yeah, he would say, I don't care about things like you guys do. I don't care about that. I'm fine with living in a tent. So when he, when I knew he was homeless, I'm like, well, he always said he was fine with living in a tent. He always was fine with that. He didn't want anything. And I don't understand it because his dad always had a house. Mm-hmm. He always had a vehicle. You know, they paid their bills, I think, and, you know, lived a fairly 
normal life, you know, however that looks. So it was, it's weird how the standards go down and they don't care about that anymore. Yeah. As long as they have what their drug, they'll live Mm -hmm. anymore. You know, they don't care. And that's really sad. I'm, I'm so curious the past eight months, what steps have you taken to, to grieve his death and like, what's this journey been like losing your firstborn? I mean, you were, I was 19 when I had my son too. Oh my gosh. I, I can't even imagine what you've been going through. And I just want you to share your journey. You know, a firstborn teaches you how to love. Right. Firstborn teaches you what true love really is. I never knew what love actually was. I did not love his dad. Like I loved that baby and I would die for him. All your kids, you would, but your firstborn, you just really realize that, wow, this is the one perfect thing that you've done, you know, is have this child. And he was big too. He was nine, five, he was nine pounds, five ounces. He was huge. (laughs) And uh, yeah, he was a big boy, but I was my little buddy. He was my, he was my buddy. And so him passing away, I'm just so thankful that I had already stopped drinking, honestly. And not one time, Charlotte, was I ever tempted to have a drink because I needed to feel it as his mom. I needed to feel every single bit of that pain in a real way. And I say organically because that's exactly how I did it. I I didn't do anything to alter my mind to get me through this grieving process because it hurt so bad. I wanted to go through all those stages and I thought I'd be done with it. You're not ever done with it, but I felt like I wanted to feel better eventually. So I didn't want to mask it. That was my obsession was not masking that grief. And so can I just say you were so brave for doing that. That takes some real courage because most people would do anything to to just try to numb it or or forget about it even for a night. That that's amazing of you. I'm just I just want you to know that. Thank you. I, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how what why it became such an obsession for me. Maybe it was his drug use. Mm-hmm. Maybe I felt the need to be total opposite. Yeah. You know, my brain just flipped and was like, no, we are doing this. Wow. We are doing this natural. And so I went through all the feels, all the things. I weirdly enough. When his first situation happened in 2019, I had just lost two dogs and one of them was his, one of them was his people that I had adopted from him basically <laughs> at a year old. And boss was like 11 years old when he passed away, but he passed away when Ramsey was in the hospital. I lost a little chihuahua. And then the night of my mom's, my adopted mom's funeral, one of our friends who had pug puppies called me and said, I'm, I'm giving you a pug puppy since you lost your, your dogs. And so that night we were in San Diego because we did the funeral in San Diego. My mom's buried up in Alpine and I'm just in the shower, just sobbing and sobbing. And this is right before Ramsey did his thing. This is right before he got really sick. Mm-hmm. He wasn't coming to the funeral. I, he was already on drugs at the time. And I was really hoping nobody would tell him because we didn't want to see him there. You know, we're like, we already knew there was something going on with him, but I was just sobbing. And I named that little pug Lotus because I said, out of all the mud in the muck comes this little puppy, right? So I get her 
about Ramsey had just, he was in the hospital, just coming home from the hospital because he came with me to go pick her up. Point of the story is coming in a minute. Sorry. (laughs) So I pick up this little pug puppy and he's with me. I have pictures of him holding this little pug puppy. He's home from the hospital recuperating. There's Lotus. So, you know, three and a half years later, a week, let's see, I'm going on vacation to Montana and I see this little pug puppy online and it's somebody we know, a different one. And I said to my husband, we should get another pug puppy. Let's get her. She's the last one left. Let's do it. My other son was like, mom, you don't need another dog. I don't know why you're getting another puppy. A week after I committed to that puppy, Ramsey passed away. So when I was able to pick her up, it was the third day after he had passed away. I'm at home. Dakota and I are home from work. Uh, We have time off because of this. And I go pick up this puppy. So it's this, it's my second puppy that I got because something to do with him. Yeah. And my son calls me and he said, I guess you did. He says, I guess God knew that you needed another puppy. So that <laughs> crazy enough got me through like What's the, the hardest Rosie Rosie how cute my favorite flowers roses and lotus flowers so Rosie and it got me through that really hard time because I had to take care of this puppy yeah you were just so <laughs> I'm a mom I have th- you know three grown-ups I have four grandkids I've babysat my grandkids for most of their little infancy through toddler years, I've always, you know, been busy with kids, babies, grownups, everything else. And so the puppies, it was just so ironic that I told my husband I wanted that pug and boom, yeah. Ramsey passes away. And now I have this little puppy again that I'm taking care of just like I did when he was out of the hospital. So that puppy kept me busy. I think one of the hardest days for me besides the celebration that we did was my daughter and I went and picked him up from the crematorium you know Jenny went and my daughter-in-law went and saw him I couldn't do it you know she told me I want to go see him and I told her okay you can go do it but I'm not going to see him like that I couldn't even imagine ever in my lifetime seeing one of my kids like that Way different for a mom, I'm sure. No, I just couldn't do it. And and so she went and saw him and, and she was happy that she did. She said he looked amazing, beautiful, and peaceful. Mm-hmm. So that was enough for me. Yeah. Wow. I didn't need to see him that way. But Dakota, my daughter and I went and picked him up and that drive down to San Diego, you know, it takes us an hour and a half to get down there and picking him up and having him in the trunk is so weird. It's so weird. It just when he handed me the box, it was just, I couldn't believe that that was my big, beautiful son with the big, beautiful arms and legs. And, you know, he was so good looking and he was so funny and just had such a cool body. You know, he just was strong. He used to do wheelies on on Harleys and stuff. And I just remember his forearms, just like Mm -hmm. the muscles just coming out on his forearms and just so strong. And so, Putting him in the back of my trunk was no joke. You know, that was really hard. Driving home, my daughter and I just, I'll never forget that day. That's when it was really real for me, was picking him up. I bet. 
Oh my gosh, what what did you guys do with his ashes, if I may ask? We ended up, we have a place where we like to go off-roading. And, you know, I know he didn't grow up here, but he was born here. Yeah. And so we had a really healthy celebration. Uh, we had the whole family came over and I had a video made for him. And it, what, his song when he was a baby, I used to sing it to him all the time, was by Leonard Skinner called Simple Man. And I can tell you, honestly, I just about hear that song just about every single day. Like it's somewhere. Really? So I know he's, yeah. I hear it at work. I hear it every All the signs that I give you. I'm going to post that link to that video in the show notes because, man, that video is amazing. And the part that got me was seeing him play with his kids. He just get right there on the floor with them and and just Mm -hmm. play. And everyone would just look so happy. And that, that part got me. I was bawling when I watched that. Cause so that this is, is kind of a, a crazy story. So we, we take his dog, we take boss's ashes up with us too. And we all get in our off-road vehicles and we all go up to this place. And we found this really cool tree. Some of us had something that we wrote and I had something my sister did. And and then we just put them around this tree and then we put boss around the tree and the kids did it too. The kids had their little share, but Jesse, my son had made a beautiful video of him that he would have loved because it was more his music and everything. And uh, Jesse had a speaker with him. And so we're out in the forest and all of a sudden his, his daughter just lost it. You know, she just, She's completely lost it. I'm hugging her. I tell her, baby, let's go out into the forest and let's just scream. Let's go scream. And we ran out to the forest. (laughs) We ran from the cars and my other granddaughter ran with us and my daughter. And we're just running and we're just yelling. And all of a sudden, my son had put that video on his speaker and we could hear Ramsey's voice in the trees in that part you're talking about, talking to the kids. And we all just looked up because his voice boomed from the trees. Mm-hmm. I have chills. It was the most amazing moment that we ever experienced all together. And wow. we all just started crying. We all just saw, we couldn't believe how amazing and beautiful his voice was yeah. in the trees. And so... Yeah. It was so different than having a funeral at a funeral home or a church. It was so not, it was different. And this was more him and it was better for us, for our family to, to heal. And we went to this little restaurant afterwards in the mountains. And I remember all of us sitting at this really long table and Jenny's father. Oh my gosh. Jimmy's father is just looking at me and he's, he's telling me, you are so strong. You are one of the strongest women I know. And I, I didn't know what to do with that. You know, I don't know how else to be. I don't know how else to be, but strong because I don't even know what it's like to, to not be strong. I have to, and I had to be strong in his entire journey. I had to be strong when he was a kid. I had to be a, be strong when he wanted to go live with his dad. That broke my heart. I told him, you're breaking my heart. Nobody has ever broken my heart in my lifetime like he did at 10 years old. 
by telling me he wanted to go live with his dad. And I have a video of him. And I said, Ramsey, why do you want to go live with your dad? He's like, I just want to be the only kid. Oh my God. <laughs> just like my situation, Becca. <laughs> Same exact thing. My, my son. Was- he he and- always just wanted to be the only kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, you know, it's a different world when you're the only kid. You, there's not a bunch of stuff going on all the time with everyone. Your parent can focus on just you. And mm-hmm. my son did the same exact thing. And it broke my heart too. It was like, that was my, he, just like you, I had him at 19 and he was the closest thing to me for so many years. And of course mm-hmm. you love all your kids, but like that first one that you grow up with almost, and then for them to tell you like they, they want to leave and they've been with you their whole life. Oh my God. I'm still not over it. It's only been, you know, a couple of years for me. And I'm, it was, it was traumatic for me every day. I look at his picture cause I can't see him in person anymore. I'm just like, I miss my son too. I, I get it. So that was the first time he broke your heart was at 10. And wait, no one's ever broke your heart before that. Dang, you are nope. strong. <laughs> I know. I told my husband, well, you could be the first. I don't know though. Why not? <laughs> So your husband throughout all of this, because you guys been together so long. So Kurt was pretty young, right? He was was he a teenager? Well, Joe and I have been married for 17 years, but I was married before that to Dakota's dad. And so Dakota's dad was Ramsey and Jesse's stepfather for about 17 years also. Oh, so wow. they grew up with him. He just also has an alcohol problem. So <laughs> That's why we are together mostly because of his drinking problem and he didn't want to quit drinking. And, you know, I gave him the option. I said, Hey, save your family, stop drinking, save your family. And he said, I don't have the problem you do. And I hadn't drank for six months at that time. And I said, perfect. I'm sober and I'm making the decision to to end this right now. I'm not letting my kids go through this anymore. So Jesse was something else. You are special. I think, I think I must have, you know what? I just must have had a lot of different lives. Yeah. You know, and I think that the way I look at this one is I'm just doing this. I'm going to do this the best way I can. And I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still changing careers and doing things with my life because I feel like it's a possibility. You know, I'm going to be 58 in July and I still feel like I'm like 30. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I want to be like that. I really hope. I, I know I will be. I, it's your transformation. Gosh, you could just see it all over your face. You just exude this beautiful energy. And that I realized my face looks so red today. I'm like, oh, I had that laser genesis done today. <laughs> That's like, it's so red. That's awesome. No, no, you know what I wanted? Go ahead. I wanted to just say one thing because Ramsey was, he, he said to me this one thing and I always refer back to it. And I think it's so cool. And I want to share it with you. Years ago, he said to me, mom, if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you think you are? Mm-hmm. And it was so cool. And I've never forgot it. And I told him, I don't know, like probably like 25. <laughs> and I loved it because if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you think you are? It was one of the coolest things he ever really said to me that I remembered like that. Like some philosophical stuff right there. And I'm going to be honest with you. I met with my therapist like three weeks ago and she asked me the same exact question. 
So like that's oh, a, cool. yeah, it's it makes you really think. And the fact that he was so what's the word for it? Like not aware, but able to like create that question and ask. Yeah. It. That's yeah. Cool. And that okay. was years ago. That was before the drugs, you know, before the bad drugs and stuff. And I never forgot it because anytime I start to think about how, how what age I'm coming to, like 58, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not me. <laughs> this is not, I'm not really that old. That's weird. <laughs> so funny. I mean, that means you truly don't feel that. So that's, that's great. I don't feel it. But you know, the, the journey with him, gosh, it's, it's taught me so much. It really has. It's taught me empathy for what I see out in public nowadays. I do empathize with that, but I'm not going down that road again. I'm not. And I, I tell the kids, I tell even the grandkids, don't you ever put your Nana through that. Don't do it. Cause you know how I'm going to be. You know that I'm just going to be like this and I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I will not go down that journey. I'm not doing it. So I've established that right from the gate. And if anybody goes down that journey and they think they can call me, they're wrong. I'm not doing it. It's I'm, too hard. I'm taking notes from you because I've been practicing boundaries too. And it's, it's always been such a hard thing for me, but my mom's a little more like you. Like she'll put the the wall up and like, nope, I'm not dealing with it. But I feel like I'm probably more like your daughter. And it's like, you love your brother so much and you keep breaking these these boundaries with him, but he does the same thing every time. It's it's just different relationships, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think definitely at some point it would be good to have my daughter on because towards the end, she put all that, all those walls up. Mm -hmm. It was like no more no more anything because it was affecting her relationship just like it was affecting mine. Yeah. I mean, you see it every single day, marriages break up, families break up all because of this one person that can't or won't do what they have to do to make things right. They, you know, they say you give up everything for the one thing instead of giving up the one thing and getting everything back. That was a choice that he had when it came down to it. He had that choice. And like you mentioned in the beginning, there are places that are free. He was in a place that was free when he got so sick. He was in there for about three days before he got super duper septic and got really sick and they had to take him to the hospital, but his ex had finally got him into a place. So they're, you know, they got to want it too. They have to want it too. If they don't want it, you can't do anything about it. And I realized that early on enough to where I could be strong like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's so stressful. It's just, it'll tear you apart. You let it for sure. And I couldn't, I couldn't let it. And I have business cards for my, for my yoga business. And I had to change the phone number twice because... <laughs> I'm like somehow I got weak and gave him my phone number the first time. And then I had, then when he faked his death, I had to change it again. And after that, I was like, Nope, not doing that again. I can't, if he really wants to get a hold of me, he knows my address. He can write me a letter. Mm -hmm. I never got a letter. You know, I never got a message from anyone else. The only thing I have to say is that after he passed a friend of mine who had been talking to him, when he was at my house, mm -hmm. she always kept in contact with him. 
And I was feeling that mom guilt. And I was telling my daughter, you know, I hope he knows. I hope he knew that I really did love him. And she said, mom, I'm going to tell you, so-and-so texted me and showed me a text that her and my son had had where just a few days before he passed, she asked him, have you talked to your mom or your sister? And he said, no, but I know they love me. Oh my gosh, Becca, that gives me the chills. So he knew, he knew, and that made me feel so much better. You know, I, I know he knew that, but. You had all these little signs come in to just reassure you and, mm-hmm. and validate you. It's so beautiful. I'm so happy for you that you had that. And I'm so freaking proud of you for setting boundaries and sticking to them and being able to do that because we can't fix them. We just can't. And there's, I'm a part of some Facebook groups too, maybe some of the same ones as you. And there's so many people that come on and they're, they're like, what can I do? And how can I make, make them stop? It's like, you can't, you, you really have to come to grips with that and come to terms mm-hmm. with that. You can't change them. There's absolutely nothing you could do. You could flash whatever you want in front of them, all the love, all the cars, anything. It will not matter unless they want it. It, it just won't. And that that's a, so happy that you found that you discovered that early on because it could have been, could have broke up your marriage. It could have done so much, you know? Because mm-hmm. I wanted to do everything for him. I wanted to make his life better. But I started realizing right away that he wasn't wanting that. He Like when I said, we went and looked at little houses Mm-hmm. Or we'd be driving by and he would tell me it's too cold here. I don't like it here. It's too cold. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know? So when it came down to, I mean, he had a motorcycle that was waiting for him when he got out of the hospital, mm-hmm. all he had to do was get better right. and start getting on with his life. And he had a motorcycle. His brother gave him a Harley and told him in the hospital, because you made it through, you didn't die. I have a Harley that I'm going to give you. And that wasn't even enough. Yeah. I, I believe it. I believe it. I'm sure so many people relate to that. So many. And that's why I'm so glad you came on here and shared your story and your voice. I feel like I could talk to you for so long. Like this could go on forever. But of course, we have to tap out at some point. Becca, if there's, it could be two, but if there's one thing you could tell a mom whose son is in active addiction, what what advice would you give her? Depending on the age. I really think it depends on the age. An adult. Let's say adult. Yeah. So an adult, like my son was an adult. I had to let it go. I had to let it go. And that's the hardest part. You're never going to get rid of the guilt of doing that. But it's a small price to pay for the other parts that are better because you let them go. You have to let them go. They will do it right when they're ready. If they're ready, they'll do it right. But maybe they won't. And you have to be okay with that part of it. And so for me, letting go, and I had to remind myself every single day of why I'm letting go and why I let go is because it's not my journey. I told him, this is your journey. You chose this. I didn't choose this journey for you. Nor did I choose it for myself or for our rest of our family. Mm-hmm. So it's yours. It's your journey. And that's what you have to do. You have to let it be their journey. You can't hold on to it. It's not yours. 
It's so tough. And I, I love that. I love that you just said that. Honestly, it's, it's so important. I'm like listening to you like, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm like thinking myself what I need to do too, you know, cause I'm still healing and, and dealing. And that's why we're here on this podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you if they want to take your yoga class or, you know, what, what's going on? Where's your, how can they find you? So I have a website down for yoga.com D O W N number four yoga little website that I created. And then I have a YouTube channel under Rebecca Peterson down for yoga. I just do very beginning yoga. I, I'm not one of those yogi gurus or anything. (laughs) I'm super basic. Like I'll explain how to go into a yoga class and not feel intimidated. I'll tell you all the do's and don'ts and so that people don't give you the fish eye. (laughs) I'm definitely going to look that up and do a class with you. Oh, they're short too. They're like, 13 minutes or 15 minutes um, because it's so hard to download stuff on YouTube when you're trying to, <laughs> but they're short, short videos. Anyone can do them. They're for beginners. And I'm just going to keep on doing that. So down for yoga is I do classes on zoom on Saturdays that people can hop on. If you want to DM me for that information down for yoga on Instagram, you can look for that one too. So yeah, I'm happy to share my story and as as bad as it hurts and and it still hurts every single day. Again, you know, that was his journey. He chose that. He chose every bit of that life. And you know, I I feel comfortable now knowing that he's with us mm-hmm. and we will always have him with us no matter what. And I don't wake up afraid at night anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part is when they do pass away because they eventually all will. There's no way. I mean, he was like a professional at it. You know, he used to tell me all the time, mom, I'm not stupid. I don't, you know, I'm not going to die from this stuff, but they all will pass eventually. And there's a sort of a odd piece with that too. You know, it's you, you expect it every single day that they do it. And then years later when it happens, it's, you know, you expected it and it's, it doesn't make it easier, but you knew it was going to happen. So it makes it different. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like wrap my brain around it. I feel like it's something you have to experience yourself to truly understand, you know, losing a child period that you just, no one's going to understand unless they've experienced it. And then I just, I, I'm so happy that you shared. I really am. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And I, I hope that even just a small part of this will help someone out there. That's what our lives are about, right? Helping one person at a time, even if it's just one little phrase, something that you said, if it helps somebody, then you're doing your job. Yeah. There's so many little phrases I've held on to that people have said to me. <laughs> it, it just gets you through sometimes, you know, and you're going to get yeah. a lot of people through with this. I know you are because there's a lot of people out there with family that are struggling with addiction. Uh, you, you know, there's tons. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for, for this to air and for everyone to hear and all of your, your website and all that I'm going to link in the show notes. If anyone wants to reach out to Becca and if you have any more questions or you are, you have a family member that's struggling with addiction and you need resources, please DM me or email me because I would love to help. This is really something I'm passionate about. And between me and Becca, we'll, we'll try to figure something out, right? <laughs> yep. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you loved what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes, share it with your friends and tag me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at healinganddealing.podcast and by joining our Facebook group. Be sure to follow me for inspiration, tips, and exciting news about upcoming episodes. If you are interested in working with me one-on-one or have questions or comments about what you heard today, please email me at healinganddealing.podcast at gmail.com. Your support means the world to me. I'm so grateful to be sharing my voice and the voices of others with you. Now, let's keep healing and dealing. We'll see you in the next episode.